Hey guys, thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe to The Legendarium on iTunes. Uh, check us out at thelegendarium.podbean.com and also write us at thelegendariumpodcast at gmail.com. Welcome to The Legendarium. And now Craig and I continue our Star Wars Day special discussion with our guest, Todd Wente. Where we left off. All right, it's it's time to focus. Let's get down to business on the films, the movies that we've come to love, the movies we've come to hate, and the movies that we have odd feelings about. I do have odd feelings. Um, maybe we should make not this those kind of had odd feelings. I don't want to talk about that. Maybe this is our first podcast that we release because this is going to be the one that's actually germane to anything. <laughs> you know, it might be worth saying, you know, and if you'd like to hear the other part of the story, maybe it's, you know, behind the backstage door when the light goes out. Exactly. Um, um, so Do you remember that when the light goes out? We're going, to, uh, we're going to try and fail miserably uh, to focus in a little bit on uh, on something that, is no longer speculation. We're going to talk about the films as they were, as they are. As are we, we going to talk about them in release been. order? Well, that's we're going to talk about the orders. Actually, I just read I just read an article that a friend of mine sent over to me, uh, and she and her husband just finished reading it in machete style, machete order. Yes, there's a, a blog called uh, something you know, don't juggle machetes or whatever it's called. I don't remember, but this guy. Uh, released his own order so people talk about like oh you know you should read or you should watch was it four and five and then go back and watch the trilogy and then six this guy says what does he do he says four five two three six skip one skip one entirely <laughs> and and he makes a great case for it too so it, maybe this is a good place to start because it's the first it, chronologically it's the first film in the series is it even a necessary film? Do you, do you do you guys enjoy it on any level, including what it brings to the table in terms of story? This is where I'm going to get to be. I think I may be a bit blasphemous during this podcast. Okay, I'm actually going to take for the most part a stance defending quite the prequels a bit. Yeah, the prequel trilogy. Um, the first film, in terms of the Star Wars universe as a whole, is not. It, it does pretty much nothing except for it would introduce characters to us if we didn't except already, we already know, know them. Yeah. A long, long time ago. <laughs> Just listen to that on the car on the way in the car on the way over here. <laughs> so if, if if we take our universe and pull it out here and redo rework it here and we don't know the rest of the Star Wars series and you just drop one in there, the first one in there, mm-hmm. and you say, Okay, here's here's movie number one. And everything you get to introduce to these characters and introduce, I don't think we would have as much hatred for it as we have. I agree. I, I totally agree. Um, and there's another thing that we all have hatred for that I think would uh, kind of go away if we aren't, weren't all such cynical jackasses, and that's Jar Jar Binks. <laughs> What's wrong with Jar Jar Binks? I get it. He's annoying, and we, you know, and a and, tiny bit racist. You should call me annoying, son. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I'm I'm not saying that he's the greatest character ever written. All I'm saying is that. You know, of of all the characters to, you know, to get so up in arms about. Why Jar Jar Binks? I don't get it. Now, see, here's the here's the thing that I find really funny. And and this is because and maybe I get the maybe I get the opportunity to do this because I'm looking at it from three different lenses. One of them is a, a viewer of the original films. The second is a 
father of viewing, viewers of the original uh, of, films. of the films and another is as uh, a member of the creative community um my children thought jar jar binks was hilarious in the same way that I thought R2-D2 and C-3PO were hilarious, and my parents thought they were the stupidest thing exactly. to put on the film. And so I, I, I totally agree. If we had not already entered with the expectations that had been set with 5 and 6, mm-hmm. I think we would have accepted one much more gently we, than it, we did. We, we it, meaning the community, the community at, large. at large. yeah. Right. Well, Ryan and I had no trouble accepting the Ewoks. Because they were, you know, because they're cute, they're funny, they, you know, uh, as far as we were concerned, they played an integral part in the story, mm-hmm. you know, which they don't. You don't need the Ewoks. They they were a marketing tool, right? It's all about selling toys. But, you know, but we accept them and, and they're not annoying. We know, you know, Wicket W. Warwick. We know his name, for heaven's sake. Um, which, and that they were a warrior culture who yeah. just needed a leader that would give them enough courage to fight the evil empire. It's Wait, this sounds familiar. Hang on. I've almost got it. <laughs> just saying. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, so, Ryan, go on. You you seem to have something to say about episode one. That uh, why, why is it that you want to defend it so much? Uh I, I pretty much that's the main point is the the film itself and all the characters, everything that we have issues with is not as bad as we make it out to be. It's mm. only because of what came before it that we realize it's that's the bar we're comparing it to. We're saying right. by not. this standard, there are so many films nowadays that come out. that People are like, hey, we're, you know, it was a good film or whatever. That, they just let it go. The, the, because it's the first of its so, series. So or whatever. if it wasn't Star Wars, it would at least be an average science fiction it film. Would, it would have done well enough at the box office to probably qualify for a sequel, and people would have, you know, go and buy it, and they'd buy some toys or whatever. It wouldn't necessarily be the uh, epic that Star Wars is now. Right. Um, but there's, there's other things at fault there. Um, I'll, I'll sum up my entire prequel trilogy argument here really quickly that it spans all three of them here. The dialogue writing, the script writing is terrible. Thank you. So, so bad. The story arc is not as bad. No, it's not It is no. not bad. that bad. No, it's not. Um, but that's partially because that story arc was established beforehand a little bit um, in the sense that we knew that Anakin Skywalker fell to the dark side right. and he came from this. So we had some things coming before. And so that story arc, the the whole – the fact is that this series, what was about Luke Skywalker defeating the Empire – this series is now about Anakin Skywalker and his redemption. Right. And it, the whole series, all yeah. six films. Yes. Yeah, it's an it's the Anakin Skywalker story, which you know, which uh I don't quite swallow. Um but whatever. Now, this Machete blog that I was talking about, the reason one of the reasons that he threw out the first movie was not just cuz he didn't like it or, you know, cuz he thought the dialogue was bad or because Jake Lloyd was, you know, Hardly Oscar worthy. Yippee! But, <laughs> but because that, let's what, try rolling. That's one of a the, good trick. One of the arguments that he made was that uh, this—it's not integral to the story. It's There's, not. We don't need to see Anakin as a little kid. You can cut out, uh, you know, a couple things from Episode Two that you know you might want the the backstory of Episode One. Uh, but other than that, all we need to see is Anakin as. You know, teenager Anakin. And here I'm going to play devil's advocate and say there's one moment in that, in episode one, that is critical to the setup of the entire arc. 
And that's the uh, creation of C-3PO. No. Oh. Uh, that's the death of Qui-Gon Jinn. Mm. Because when Qui-Gon Jinn dies at, in one of what I think is the most vicious lightsaber battles ever, including the one in Revenge of the Sith, mm-hmm. I think, I, I think that, that original lightsaber battle between Qui-Gon Jinn and Darth Maul um, oh my gosh! What a what a it's in, between the between the three of them, Darth Maul versus Obi Wan Kenobi and Qui Gon Jinn. Oh it my gosh, amazing. that was so yeah. much fun! Um, nerdgasm spectacular, I, right? I, that I was think that was my first erection. So much fun, um, but but the moment where uh, Qui Gon Jinn is dying and Obi Wan is holding him, and Qui Gon Jinn makes him promise to train the boy. I don't think Obi-Wan Kenobi would have flown in the face of the council had it not been for his promise to Qui-Gon Jinn that he would train the boy. Ooh. Yes. All right. I think, All right. And you I'll hit, buy that. You hit that score. There are not many moments in the first movie that we need to know. Like I said, it's mostly they're introducing to us characters we already know. Yeah. Look, it's Senator Palpatine. Ooh, I wonder what he's going to become. <laughs> Which, how many, but honestly, how many people were surprised when Senator Palpatine becomes Chancellor Palpatine and then they go, oh, he's the emperor? And I look at him and I say, were you not paying attention in the first three films chronologically released? Did you ever? Yeah. Did you ever? Buy, did you ever read, read the anything? book? Yeah. So, so, but, but that piece, that moment is critical because if you don't do, if you don't commit Obi Wan Kenobi to training Anakin, Anakin, in spite of all of his problems, all of his faults, and all of the things that are that are there at the very beginning, I sense much fear in you. Um, all of these kinds of arrogance and not having, not not understanding why they can't have connection to other individuals, things that Anakin was never raised with, that he has to then figure out how to deal with. If you don't have Obi Wan Kenobi committed to that kind of difficulty, he's not going to take it on. Mm-mm. He's also not going to feel the incredible responsibility to watch over Luke Skywalker and make sure that when he's old enough there's an opportunity for him to embark on his own mission to redeem. So I'm, I'm going to suggest... Mind blown. I was just going to let the silence hold for a second. Yeah, I'm done. Because <laughs> um, that, that right there is the one that sums up right there. Okay. Everything you need to know about why, that, why episode one, The Phantom Menace, needed to exist. But you could have done that in a 20-minute prequel. So mm-hmm. what? Or or in prologue form? You could there have done was it a in prologue great form. Uh, what was it? An eight minute prologue to uh, the Fellowship of the Ring. Yes, that told you everything you needed to know about the backstory of that object. It wasn't the Hobbit, but it was enough. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um. Anyway, I've noticed that everything goes back to the Lord of the Rings. Oh gosh, it's <laughs> you know it, it's really sad. I can't prepare a speech or a talk or anything without injecting Lord of the Rings. I love it's, it. It's it's bad. Um, okay, so episode two, uh, Ryan, w- how mad were you when Yoda jumped up from his cane and started uh, going all lightsaber crazy on? Kanduka? I was not. I was so mad. What was I like? Sixteen at the time. I I was about ready to throw my popcorn at the screen. So, and here I go again. Depending, this is one of those moments that a lot of people have issue with. We don't need to see Yoda lightsaber fighting. We don't need to see those things. I contend that at least once we should. Because 
any character in any series that I can think of that is like the super character for Lord of the Rings are Gandalf. Okay. Yeah. Um, for uh, got to think of another series. Whatever. Harry Potter. Harry Potter. Dumbledore. For the most part, they're there with wisdom. Where we know there are powerful things. We don't necessarily need to see it to be or have it reinforced. But at least once, um, for example, when we get to Half Blood Prince and Harry Potter. Yes. Yes. Where he's drinking it, and but then has to save Harry. In the films, we see we see Dumbledore in his glory, and we get to see him take on Voldemort for a little bit. That's all we needed was just that little bit. So in episode two, when Yoda fought and went through, I was a little annoyed at how they made him fight. He just was like a frog going everywhere. Ding, ding. I'm like, he's a Jedi master. Like he should be like standing there, you know, a la uh, Matrix style, you know. Yeah, yeah. With his little hand, and then like, like the other guy comes to him and he just disarms him and takes him apart really quickly or whatever. But to me, there needs to be so a moment to that's, see Yoda. That's my thing, though, is that you just you just hit my argument right on the head, which is it's not that the fight scene exists. I'll, I'll give the fight scene its due. It's how they did it. Okay, and see. really made me mad because that's not that's not Yoda. You know, it's not the Yoda we knew. It well, and it's the. But then they put the little joke in where he grabs his cane and he uh, and he walks away really slowly. You know, there there's something about. You know, the physicality that takes me out of it. Like, you can't go from the one to the other okay. uh, believably. I, and and, and so, I get that. I, so I'm all about giving him a fight scene, giving him his moment of, uh, you know, showing his true power. But there are other ways to do it than whipping out a lightsaber and, you know, having some, you know, what was it, like a three or four minute duel with Count Dooku. And, and I'm going to take the side of, uh, I'm going to defend this a little bit differently than Ryan did. Um, because I'm going to suggest that the reason that he drops the cane, pulls out the lightsaber, and is able to jump around and do all these things is because those are manifestations of his force, force. power at yeah. that moment in time. And as a as a as an individual, as a as a species, we don't necessarily know. Maybe Yoda grew from a swamp. How much frog attraction are we going <laughs> to put with this? I mean, I'm, I, I know this is this is one of those places where most most, if not all, of my um, normal thinking non-geek friends look at me and go wow you think about this way too much but i did and i saw that and i said why would it be so hard to assume if yoda's 900 800 years old that unless he's using the force to allow him to do all of those things it is difficult to move and that's why he only does it during that one fight because it's exhausting and the older I get, the more I relate to the fact that, you know what, I can do lots of stuff for a short period of time, and then let me move slowly, thank you very much, because <laughs> I'm getting white in my beard, thank you very much. Well, and we have, uh, we look I at I wasn't going to say anything. <laughs> no, you said it in the last podcast. <laughs> we look at it, though, and we have no problem with uh, Anakin Skywalker, Obi-Wan, or these younger Jedi jumping multiple stories using a force-enhanced jump, using a force-enhanced speed as they run down the hallway in episode one. You know, those force-enhanced abilities, it's an ability that is enhanced by the force. So that's why what what Todd's saying there, I completely agree with, is that for that moment for Yoda, it may be entirely that he is he's just enhancing his abilities with the force to go through and, and do those. And we have visitors. What's up? Sup? <laughs> visitors to the studio. Well, um, all right, fine. I, I think I'll... Uh... I'll bite, and uh, I can I can accept your mechanical explanation of what's going on. That doesn't mean that emotionally I need to like it. I get it. I get it. It's it's like the in episode one when I saw Yoda 
I was disgusted. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the puppet that they used was just Bad. bizarre. Bad. Bizarre. It was like watching Chucky wear a Yoda mask. <laughs> for me. For me. That's how icky it was. Um, yeah. yeah. So, now, if we move on, so let's talk a little bit about uh, about episode three. Now, episode three is probably my favorite of the prequels. Um, and that's not for the writing. Uh, but probably just for the story. Uh, yeah, I, I really enjoy the arc of episode three. Uh, the, I, I just hate the writing so much. I can't quite get past it. What do you guys think? It's, uh, episode three. I, we need the episode to, first thing I want to address is how dark it is. Oh yeah. It's like crazy dark the the uh, star wars that was that was the deepest comment i've ever given on this podcast by the way (laughs) yeah it's crazy dark yeah it's every all the other star wars everything else in star wars uh we've had darker moments we've had um some different things uh you could describe a lot of killing the the sand people but you can't really describe anything as dark as what we have in episode three. Uh, yeah. Which is fitting for what it's supposed to... It's the fall, the, the complete fall, the final moment of the fall of Anakin Skywalker. Um, for the most part, like I said, I agree with you. The story in this is quite good. It gives us... It wraps up pretty much everything that we need to know in terms of how things came to be uh, for the original trilogy. Um, in terms of we know how the Empire gets started now. Um, and actually that it's still a fairly, my biggest beef is that it still seems to be a fairly new development. Um, we get done with that. Luke and Leia are born and 18 years later, they're building the Death Star. I don't know many uh, governments that could pull that, but, um, you know, I don't know how long they've been, they've taken to build the Death Star either. Um, why build one when you can build two? Uh, That was the deepest thought ever shared on this podcast. But overall, I I just have to say three. If you could get someone to rewrite the dialogue, I actually went back and rewatched it a while ago. And as it was going through, I inserted my own lines instead of what they were saying um, a lot of times. And the movie was a lot better. I still can't. You can't fix bad acting. (laughs) You can't fix it. And you know the writing is bad. I I explained this to you last time we were talking about this. Um, you You know your writing is bad when Samuel L. Jackson... Sounds like a wuss. Sounds like some geriatric, old, boring person. Like it, it, He says, you give him any line in the world, and he sounds awesome. He sounds cool. He sounds like a guy who's, you know, he's, he's got his shaft. Except that not any line in the world, it turns out. Yeah, these lines are difficult. And going back and watching his lightsaber battle with Palpatine... What should be two of the most epic lightsaber Because uh, Mace Windows, he's supposed to be the man with the lightsaber, right? Yes, he is. He's not, yes. he, he, it's not just that he's a Jedi Master. It's not just that he's had this lightsaber for a long time, so he knows what to do with it. He's like it. Yeah. Mace Windows. okay, here I go. Let, let, nerd alert. How, I don't know how many this, this is. Okay, we, the next nerd alert. This is called the Legendarium. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> when um, when when you read in the in the books uh, or any of the other source material, if you can call it that, for Mace Windu, they describe his Force ability as being able to see shatter points in the Force, mm-hmm. and that he is supposed to be able to ex- um, to exploit those shatter points in ways that cause 
tremendous damage or tremendous healing. Um, but because he's chosen a direction of, uh, of of militant action, because he's chosen the lightsaber and to be a def- to be a, a, a warrior of, within the Jedi caste system, he uses those, exploits those as points of destruction. Um, and so, yeah, you would expect that this would be a lightsaber battle where everything around, every stroke, even if it didn't land, did something huge. Right. And it's just kind of not so it's cool. The, it's the, in my mind, as I labeled it, the second most geriatric lightsaber battle in the entire series. <laughs> after episode after four. After episode four. Yeah. yeah. After Obi-Wan, your power is a weak old man. Um, yeah. The, and, and I'm, I'm more forgiving perhaps of the, of the acting. Um, that's okay. So that's my thing too. I wonder if we're going to say the same thing. I'm, I'm more forgiving of the acting because I'm, I, and again, maybe this is partly because I approach this as a, as a member of the creative community. Um, I've, I've worked with directors who have told me to do things that I think are really crazy, but it's what the director wants. And so you give the director what they want. And so having George Lucas be, oh, let's see, the producer, the executive producer, the director, um, Grand Poobah, everything short <laughs> of the gaffer's first mate. Um, you, you, you now have Hayden Christian doing what George Lucas tells him. You have Samuel yeah, so L. That's, Jackson that's doing what George Lucas not, tells him. Everybody says, I hate Hayden Christensen. He's such a bad actor. Well, I don't think so. I've seen him in a few other things, and I, you know, he's not, uh, he's no Meryl Streep, I suppose. <laughs> but he's, he's not no Ewan McGregor. But, and that's the thing, Ewan McGregor, fantastic actor. Liam Neeson, uh, 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 who the freak plays Padme? Uh, Natalie, Natalie, Portman. Natalie Portman. Thank you. These are great actors. Uh, who go on to do wonderful things. It's the writing and the directing that makes them appear to be the worst things ever to grace the silver screen. And I could I could even say that in, in some cases it may not have been the writing. It was the writing that made it into the film. Uh, and the reason that I say that is because I went back and, and we were talking about this earlier. I went back and I read the book. I read the book the weekend before I saw the film. Yeah. And of uh, number three, you mean? Of number three. Yeah. And uh, I was... The 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 first chapter or so was a little bit tough tough for me to get used to the act to the author's style, but there were things that he did with the writing uh, of the novel same same dialogue, but I bought it, um, and it was because we were getting glimpses of other pieces that for whatever reason did not translate onto the screen. I don't know whether that was screenwriting. I don't know whether that was directing. Um, but I know that for whatever reason, there were things that I was really looking forward to that I had already read and already bought, even with cheesy, cheesy dialogue that I bought in the book yeah. that I couldn't buy in the film. Well, and there are definitely things that, that come off the page better than, than, than can be delivered and out this, loud. And this gets to something that, that I had mentioned to you gentlemen uh, earlier, too, when we were off the air that George Lucas is a very visual storyteller. Um, it's, it's apparent, and maybe we'll get a chance to chat about that a little bit as we talk about the last, uh, about the, the uh, episodes four, five, and six. Um, George Lucas's genius really is in how to move the medium of film forward with telling a, a compelling visual story. Um, and as Ryan indicated, if you change some of the dialogue, or if you change some of the delivery, um, or if you just watch it without watching any without listening to any of the dialogue but just with john williams magnificent soundtrack scores 
um, play, with those playing in the background. And don't worry about anything else and just watch the stories. They are phenomenal. I mean, and it's not just because he throws so many CGI things at you. Um, I was watching uh, episode three, the, the beginning moments of episode three a couple of days ago, and that moment with uh, Anakin and Obi-Wan in their advanced Jedi interceptor fighters as they move along and you think you're in the middle of the battle when they're flying along the top of this uh, uh, separatist destroyer and then all of a sudden they execute the split S dive and you realize oh no they're on the fringe of this thing and there's so much going on the the scope of this storytelling from a visual standpoint and from the visual effects and from the way that he told that story magnificent stuff just really hard dialogue to get past <laughs> it really and i is. lay that all at george lucas's feet that's that's the thing and that's why you can have a documentary called the people versus george lucas right mm-hmm. yes. because they're they're it, this animosity is well deserved um he he without him we wouldn't have the prequels but with him the prequels were ruined absolutely ruined on a level uh, on a level, I, that's the thing is, I'm not saying that there is no merit. I'm saying that, and and that's part of my point is that there is a lot of merit there, and we wouldn't care if, you know, if they were just pure crap, then people would just forget about them and leave them behind. But there is something there to enjoy. Uh, that, like we already mentioned, the story is there, and uh, you mentioned reading the the novel of Episode Three. I, before episode one came out, you know, when I was a, a preteen, I was reading the uh, Terry Brooks version of it mm-hmm. before I ever went and saw it in, in the theater. And so I was insanely excited because I'd read this story and it was wonderful and these characters were great. And, and then I show up in the theater and it's, oh, really? That's how you executed that? You know, I, 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 I was in a show one time uh, and a director looked at me and, and he was giving me some notes about some things that I could uh, that I could do to make a, the role that I was playing better. Uh and he said, Todd, you're 95% there, but I know that you really, truly in your heart are not going to be happy unless you're at 100%. And these last few things that I'm giving you are such fine-tuning adjustments that they're going to make the difference between a 95% show and a 100% show as far as your ability to communicate with where your skills are at and all these kinds of things. Okay, granted. Uh, what is that? Why am I bringing that up? Because I think that George Lucas had on his hands a show that he got to about 75 or 80% and he stopped. Because that was all that he wanted to tell, not realizing that, that, he there was perhaps, more. that he perhaps had a responsibility to us as an audience to push it to a 100% show. And I don't think he cared because he told the story that he wanted to tell. And in fact, in some of the, uh, some of the interviews that I've seen done with him afterwards, he said, I did these for me. I did these first three films for me. This is what I wanted. Uh, which I don't necessarily believe. Well, I, I don't believe that that's true. Um, it, it, that may be the lie he tells himself. Well, but I, I think it also adds to, I mean, it adds to, um, it, it, it gives credibility to the idea that he got it to a point that he wanted it and saw no reason to do anything more with yeah, it. I suppose so. Well, at least he didn't screw up every movie it's true (laughs) (laughs) well and at least he didn't screw at least we were willing to accept bits and pieces of the first three films enough that we that we haven't lost 
this entire mythical right. environment. So Star Wars is not dead. Even George Lucas could not kill his own creation. And that's a good way to... That that probably is the right title for this podcast. Um, <laughs> because because it, really, um, it really is astounding that it survived his hubris. Yeah. Um, you know... I don't. I don't even know if we have time to go into the original trilogy at this point. I, there's nothing that we could say about them that hasn't been said by us and others, um, and, uh, and and so maybe we just leave it there. At I'm really sorry to my uh, children that they're going to grow up in a world where the prequels always existed. Before we jump too quickly out there like that, that is that's the other thing that the prequels have done for us. I remember when George Lucas released the special editions with his new edition and new pieces yeah. in there, whatever, in the theaters. And it gave another generation, my generation, the opportunity to experience Star Wars in the theaters before we got to the prequels. Right. So for me, the prequels grabbed the next generation. Like a lot of the things they've done, the, the prequels, the Clone Wars series, it's a chance, it's a, it's a starting point for people to come into the series who may not necessarily go to the original trilogy and come out and be like, well, that was, I mean, cool. But a young, you know, long, some of the younger generations, they still need that more excitement. They need the, the, they're looking for more of that because that's what they get in their media now. So the prequel trilogy gives them that as a point to come in. And then as they learn to refine their, their tastes refine a little bit, they'll look at the original trilogy and realize that's where this started. That's why this is so good. You know, all the other stuff, the lightsaber battles are cooler. The Star maybe, are, are maybe, cooler. yeah, but, maybe. But I, you know, I gotta say, I can't watch Gone with the Wind. Can't do it. Too old. You know what I mean? Like it doesn't matter how classic and wonderful it is. Mm. I, I can't do it. Um, and so I, I would fear that, uh, you know, my kids would be the same way. It's like, ah, oh, no, that's that's old and hokey. I'm not doing it. And so I'm sticking with the prequels or whatever comes later. I, 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 so I, I want whatever comes after that to be on par. One of the one of the things that I have heard from uh, individuals under the age of 30. Um, wow, I can really say it that way, too, can't I? <laughs> um, individuals under the age of 30 have said... Um, I can't watch the first, I can't watch four and five the same way that I watch one, two, three, and six because the special effects, the visual effects, the flight simulation, the fl- all of that kind of stuff is so far below par for what I'm used to. Mm-hmm. Um, all of the CGI, if you know, we, we remember when we saw Star Trek episode or Star Wars episode six. Uh, Return of the Jedi in in theaters. That was the first time that you were starting to see CGI space battles, and they were still, for the most part, models on blue screen. But they started to put in some CGI pieces. They started to to map things a little bit differently, right, a little bit of explosions in the background, and that and, sort of thing. And so you're, you, I remember how overwhelmingly cool Return of the Jedi was because of the extra things that they could do that they'd never been able to do before technologically. Uh, for visual effects. And that, again, we have to lay completely at the feet of George Lucas. He did a wonderful job of building a machine that would eventually be able to present his visual ideal. I think the space battle in episode one was what George Lucas had hoped Star Wars would look like. Mm. And the technology didn't exist. He created it all on a back lot. He did it all with leftovers on the budget 
Um, and and it was and it was if if you go back and you look at the at, at the documentaries and the histories that have been done about how that worked, um, he actually left principal photography to go and help the uh, visual effects guys because in a list of seven weeks of filming, they had only gotten one third one third of the shots done, and they only had two weeks of filming left to do the rest to do the other two thirds of all the visual effects. Um, and so George Lucas came in and worked with them 24 hours a day trying to help them figure out how to execute his vision of this of this magnificent visual storytelling. Um, and so I, I, I think there are some things – it's it's interesting because th- when you go back and you watch episode, uh, Star Wars 4 and 5 as they were released in the theaters before, they look pretty cheesy. Uh, the space battle scenes look pretty cheesy. Uh, the lightsaber fight's pretty pathetic. But charming. But in its own way – um, for those of us that remember the story and set the story, um, it, it exists. So again, uh, the question before that that we asked at the beginning of this podcast, is there a reason that we need episode one? I could suggest, is there a reason that you need much more of episode four, except to say Luke Skywalker, Han Solo, Carrie, uh, Princess Leia, banded together to defeat the the Empire's Death Star and then found themselves misplaced and had to figure out how to help Luke become a Jedi. Um, you can you can do the same kind of thing with episode four and eliminate all of those visual effects. But none of us would ever dream of doing that because Star Wars was really where it all began. Yeah, right. Fine. Doggone it. I think uh, with your – and we're, we're short on time here. So we may well – this has become a much larger thing than I think we were anticipating it being and we ought to look at giving because we've got to give some time to the originals oh sure Star Wars will have its due on the Legendarium fear not so for now we may have to put a hold on it but we will need to address the originals and maybe some other things as well Um, for example I don't know uh, midichlorians george oh stop oh, it oh, just go oh. no no it is you an energy field which creates surrounds all living beings i will surrounds stab us, you with this plastic lightsaber us together oh beheadings are coming on next episode of the legendarium it'll be my last apparently <laughs> uh yeah we do not have time to get into such blasphemy um Let's go ahead and sign off. Uh, Todd, we really appreciate you coming. Uh, I know we kept you way longer than uh, you anticipated being here. But, and I'm uh, still smiling. There you go. So we will <laughs> Maybe be sure it's the to... Coke Zero. We'll be sure to have you back. Uh, there's a lot more Star Wars to get into, and I'm sure you're nerdy about other stuff, too. So uh, There are a few things that I'm nerdy about, yes. I don't doubt it. Thank so, you very much for the invitation. I have, I've truly enjoyed uh, spending this time together with you guys. It's been a blast. I look forward to it in the future. Cheers! Hey guys, thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe to The Legendarium on iTunes. Uh, check us out at thelegendarium.podbean.com and also write us at thelegendariumpodcast at gmail.com.